This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN. ESPN, get at me on Twitter, at Ty D. Butler. We're on the gram, Ty D. Butler, and on the phone lines at 800-919-3776. Joining us, our, our first and only guest for the day. It's been a while since I've gotten a chance to chop it up with him. He is uh, an NBC Sports Contributor with the NFL Draft and Fantasy Football Hour. He does the Jets pre and post game on SNY. He's got a Mets podcast, co-host of the NFL Stock Exchange. He does a lot uh, for pro football focus, and he joins us now on the program. Connor Rogers, my guy. What's good, man? Ty, what's good, man? Thanks for having me. Always good to catch up with you. Always good to catch up with you, but not when it involves bad news, which we just got courtesy of uh, Schefter reporting Dwayne Brown to the IR. He's got the hip injury, coming off of shoulder surgery last year, missed all of camp. Now he's got a hip injury. This could be it for Dwayne Brown, right? Yeah, it could. I mean, this is unfortunately what tends to happen when you're relying on a tackle that's nearing age 40 in the NFL, right? I mean, I think when you look at Brown last year, you got to give him credit that he, he played through that shoulder injury, that shoulder that needed surgery. He played through it the whole season. He wasn't himself, but he was capable. And then this year, he didn't really have a training camp coming off of the injury. And then he gets thrown into the fire, especially against Micah Parsons in week two against Dallas. And it's just really, really tough situation. It's tough to stay healthy. It's, it's tough to be effective. Um, this is no doubt a loss for the Jets. I think they didn't really do him a lot of favors last week. They didn't help him at all. They don't ever really help him. He's kind of left out on an island. And now it's going to really test their tackle depth, and it's going to really test the, the way they set up this offensive line because you have a player in Kai Becton that after not really playing for two years, uh, has stepped in on the other side of right tackle really, really well, but we know his desire is to be a long-term left tackle. Do you flip him back over? Do you kick Elijah Vera Tucker to the outside? Do you finally get your second-round pick rookie interior offensive lineman Joe Tippin on the field? This just opens the door, tie to a lot of questions for a team that hasn't had a lot of answers on the offensive line, quite truthfully, during the Joe Douglas era. Yeah, and I was actually going to ask you about you know what you think they're going to do, and, and you just nailed it, and especially with now Schweitzer, who's dealing with the concussion that he suffered in practice this week. So it's injury upon injury for an offensive line that is battered, for an offense that could really use some consistency when you get to the quarterback, Zach Wilson, who has been underwhelming. So what have you seen from him? Is there any growth there so far? Uh, is it more of the same? And what are your expectations for him in this game tomorrow against the Patriots? I think it's been baby steps. I think he looks a little bit more composed and is trying to play more vertically up the pocket this year than we've seen in the past where he was always drifting, running, escaping sideways and kind of getting himself into a mess. But the reality is when things go poorly, as we saw in the fourth quarter last week, he falls back into bad habits when they're just trying to make a play. They're down too many scores. It's not a controlled environment. So I think with Zach Wilson, we still don't know if he can play at an adequate level of a number two quarterback. Right? I don't think anybody is hoping that he meets up to the expectations of a top five pick, which he was, or even as a long-term starter in this league, although obviously you'd love that if you can get that. I think that just feels far away. But right now the Jets need a capable you know, guy that can just hold the fort at this moment and run the offense and, and get it back to being a run-heavy offense by at least having the threat of the pass because teams don't really respect the Zach Wilson-led offense Jets 
um, when you look at way that, the way they play them. They load the box. They play a lot of single-high looks. They kind of force them to throw the ball because the run will be ineffective when you have that many defenders in the box, typically. So I think with Zach Wilson, this is a huge game, right? I thought he did just enough against Buffalo, although the rest of the team really picked him up. I thought against Dallas, he was actually fine in my eyes in the first half. They just rarely had the ball. I thought he let a good drive for three points before the half closed. And then when they fell too far behind because they were outcoached pretty much in all areas of the game, made a lot of dumb decisions trying to get them back in the game that, quite frankly, quite truthfully was a blowout already. And he's always struggled against Belichick. He's been really bad against the Patriots in his young career. This is just a massive moment for Zach Wilson. Patriots dealing with some injuries as well. I, I, I keep, you know, last year coming into the season, I, I, you know, I'm me being a Jet fan, all we heard was, you know, now that you've got two tight ends with Conklin and Uzoma, they should be utilized. And then I didn't see them used as much as I thought that they would have been. This year, Lazard, Hardman, it's just, Cobb. Like, I, why, why aren't these guys being used as much? Is it just simply, you know, protections breaking down and you're not getting the ball to them in, in, in spaces where they need to be had? Or, like, is that game plan? Like, what's happening with these guys that they're not being used? Usually when things get, you know, this questionable, it feels like a little bit of everything, right? And to me, what I'm noticing, at least, when you look at the tight ends, Conklin is more of a pass-catching tight end. So, you know, he's going to be on the field for that role. He's not overly effective as a blocker, but that's not what you signed him for. So you you got to put him in a position to succeed. Uzama, on the other hand, is supposed to be an effective blocker, and he hasn't been this year on top of dealing with some injury. I would get Jeremy Ruckert on the field when you run your two tight end sets. He's the best blocking tight end they have. When you look at wide receiver, what I do understand of getting Hardman or not having Hardman on the field is that they had to play heavier in week one, and you would think week two. We'll get there in a second. And they're going to play more tight ends on the field. They're going to have really two wide receiver sets between Lazard and Garrett Wilson. But the problem is we've seen plenty of times when they go to having that third wide receiver on the field, it's Randall Cobb. And that doesn't make any sense to me because Nicole Hardman has the most speed out of this wide receiver group. There's just the presence of him on the field opens up a bigger threat, a much bigger threat than Randall Cobb does. So that's, that's poor personnel handling on two situations from Nathaniel Hackett. There's no way around it. The tight ends and the wide receiver, uh, wide receiver personnel usage has not been good. And that's unacceptable, honestly. And, when you look at what they tried to do against Dallas, I mean, they just weren't effective enough trying to get the run game going, and they didn't play heavy enough, and they couldn't block anyone, and they didn't help out their offensive line by chipping the pass rushers that Dallas has. And they come at you in waves, just like the Jets do. So I think when you look at it right now, I think it's fair to question the personnel usage of this team. Even though it's only been two weeks, it has not been an overwhelmingly positive two weeks from the play calling uh, perspective. And that needs to change tomorrow against New England, a team that quite frankly, you know, they're going to take away the things you're best at. They're going to do everything they can to take away Garrett Wilson. They're going to load up the box when they see Brees Hall on the field. And that means somebody else has to make a play. And to make a play, those guys actually have to be on the field. Connor Rogers is our guest. Let's transition over to the Giants, who wrapped, uh, wrapped up their week three in San Francisco with a loss 30-12. to They've just been getting embarrassed, you know, on both sides of the ball. Saved by that second half comeback, twenty-eight to seven, led by Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. But when you look at what this team has look uh, has done over the first three games, I'm concerned because coming into the season, everyone's analysis, you know, almost in unison, was that they're, they're a better team, they're more talented. It's just not going to show itself in the standings just because they're facing you know stiffer competition. 
I have not seen that, Connor Rogers. I don't think I'm watching a better team that's just victimized by better competition. They just look like a bad team right now. I, I totally agree. I'm with you. I don't under, really understand the thought that Thursday was fine or, you know, a, a, an expected loss or, hey, they hung around for a couple quarters. The reality is with the Giants right now, you can argue that for, what, 10 of their 12 quarters they've played this season, that they've been one of the worst teams in football. And I know that's really, really harsh, and I do think it's going to get better. I think they're going to turn this thing around against some other teams. Now, turn this around, do I think they make it to the playoffs again? Maybe if the NFC is that weak, but that's not really an indictment on the success of the Giants. I think it's an indictment on the conference. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you throw them in the AFC, it's, it's not a, this isn't even a conversation we're having. And that, that there's actual football problems here to dissect, right? And to me, it's the fact that this offense cannot push the ball down the field at all. I mean, they play quick game the entire game, and they, try, they really try to do two things in my eyes. And I understand why Brian Dable and Kafka are trying to do this. They try to get the run game going with Daniel Jones, and they really have him take three-step drops and get him going in quick game. And what does that mean? Well, one, they have no faith in their offensive line, and that's pretty fair because they're not blocking anybody up front. And they don't have a lot of faith in the weapons to win down the field anyway. They don't play Jalen Hyatt enough, their best speed threat at wide receiver. We know Darren Waller's been banged up, but that's really the story of Darren Waller for the last couple of years. That shouldn't be the reason you're losing, and he's playing through it. No Saquon Barkley's a big blow, but hey, once again, Saquon Barkley's been hurt a lot over the last couple of years. So to me with the Giants, they, they got some pressure finally on Thursday night. The first two weeks of the season, the defense couldn't get any pressure. It feels like they have to blitz a lot, which is what they're going to do under Wink Martindale. They need more from Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal. Listen, both, those guys were top 10 picks in Joe Shane's draft. They have not lived up to that billing yet. They need more from those guys right now. They need to get healthy. But the NFL doesn't wait for you to get healthy. I mean, ask the Jets across town. Ask any team in the league. They, they just Your depth gets tested. And the reality is for the Giants right now, this has been a really, really disappointing three weeks of football that they need to figure out how to turn around a full sample size, not just one good half of football. And zero turnovers so far forced by that defense that was supposed to be better. And right now, through the first three weeks, as you mentioned, the worst defense in the league. And Kayvon, it's got to be better. Would love for you to do more talking or less talking and more producing, Kayvon, uh, if your team has any hopes of turning this thing around. Let's stay in that division, NFC East, Chavon Diggs. What a brutal injury for the Cowboys. It really is. I think when you look at this, it just felt like everything was going right for Dallas, uh, leading really throughout the offseason and training camp um, and in the beginning of the season where they blew out both New York teams and this is an injury that, you know, apparently it was done at practice. I, I don't recall anything of this coming up during the Jets game, and they said it was during practice. So when you look at it, here's the thing with Dallas. It felt like they had really figured out that corner duo by adding Stephon Gilmore this offseason, who is still a great player in this league. Then, you know, you look at the surface level of those two guys, they're amazing. The problem is they don't really have anything behind them. Their, their outside corner depth is going to be significantly tested, and there's not one guy on the roster that you look at and go, okay, he can hold the four right now. What you really need to do now is raise the expectations, which is possible for the pass rush because they're, they're that good. Dan Quinn is a guy that has been around this league long enough and knows how to scheme around his deficiencies and maybe hide his weakest spot on the field from a defense. And then also the fact is for the Cowboys, their defense isn't going to go out them and just single-handedly win every game for them. Dak Prescott is going to have to play like he did against the Jets. C.D. Lamb is going to have to play like he did against the Jets and take over through the air. They have one of the best running backs in Tony Pollard. That offensive line is still really good. So it makes things more difficult for the Cowboys, and it's really a 
a spot on their roster that they couldn't afford this kind of injury. But when you look at how well they're playing right now, more importantly, how well they are coached on all sides of the football and all three aspects of the game, I think long-term they're going to be okay. Are you buying into this narrative that despite the fact that they've won their first two games this year, and I think going back to last year, it's something like 18 of their last 22 games. The Eagles just haven't looked that impressive enough. Yeah, but you know what? You'd rather be in that spot than dealing with the losses and trying to figure it out, right? That's the funny thing in this league for the Eagles. And I think, you know, some of it is they've had a lot of transition tie on the coaching staff. I mean, both their coordinators from the Super Bowl got hired to be the head coaches of teams. Steichen was a guy that got a lot of credit for the development of Jalen Hurts, and now he's gone. And we we got to see before he got hurt how, how, you know, solid Anthony Richardson looked as a rookie quarterback Mm -hmm. under Steichen. So, I think this offense misses him, and you're always going to miss the coaching the most at the beginning of the season when you're just trying to get your feet under you and figure things out. So the Eagles are going to be fine. They have enough – here's the thing with the Eagles. They win games sometimes in the most simple form of football, and that's what their lines, right? And when you can do that with your defensive line and your offensive line, you always have a foundation to fall back on, and that's what they do. It's, it's fun when Jalen Hurts looks like an MVP, or maybe not for some fans listening to this, but for the Eagles. It's fun when Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, they're just airing it out and, you know, everything looks great there. But they can win football games by the simplest form of running and stopping the run and rushing the passer. And, and the fact is, too, I mean, they have the Bucks, the Commanders, the Rams, and then the Jets. It just feels like it would be a big surprise if they start to, if they start to stumble somewhere. So about a week ago, I felt like looking at this slate, it's not overly impressive. you got some good games, but a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of boring ones. I felt like the team in worst position was, you know, you mentioned the Eagles losing both their coordinators, uh, Jonathan Gannon, his team, Arizona, at home hosting the Cowboys. But then I saw what happened this week with Chicago. They're in Kansas City. I mean, what 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 is that mess happening with the with the Bears right now, Connor? I mean, they're both 12-and-a-half-point underdogs, right? So it's, the blind setters are laughing at both these franchises. But I'll say this for Arizona. They weren't supposed to be competitive, and credit to them. They've kind of been annoying in the first two weeks of the season. I mean, they gave the Giants a scare, even gave the Commanders a little bit of a scare. They kind of just hang around and find a way. And credit to Josh Dobbs. I mean, Josh Dobbs is this dude that just bounces around the league and ends up starting out of nowhere in multiple places, and he plays really hard and – you know, he's been solid for the situations that he's been thrown into. For the Bears, I mean, this is what they built, and it's dysfunction too, right? It's dysfunction. It's whether it's, you know, the offense not being properly executed or not being properly called. Justin Fields' development has not gone how they hoped. They've dealt with, you know, poor offensive line play once again. The skill talent hasn't really been put in the best position to succeed. They've had injuries on defense. It just feels like it really goes one of two ways for the Bears this week at Kansas City. They either lose by 20-plus points, which personally I think they do. I think the Chiefs cover that 12-and-a-half-point spread. Or Justin Fields goes back to making plays on the ground that keeps them around and they kind of have a surprise week. And you know what? If, if that's what it takes for you to compete in games each week, it's just a tough way to live in this league, and it's a tough spot for the Bears to be in right now. Well, Connor, you always bring it, man. I really appreciate all the insight. Look forward to talking to you soon. Go kill it tomorrow on Jets Pre and Post. Hopefully, you're reacting to a losing streak that has reached 14 games for the Jets against this New England team. Finally come to an end. Appreciate you, man.
Ty, thanks so much, man. Always great talking to you. Have a good one. You too as well. 800-919-3776. Ty Butler, we're going until 630. Still got to talk baseball. Yankees got rained out today. But Aaron Judge, I mean, last night, that was spectacular, but also very depressing. We'll talk about that and our out coming up with Julian and Chantel. So still a whole lot to do as we progress through the program. Get you to a 630 right here on 9870 ESPN. This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN. You guys see that uh, Stephen A. first pitch at Yankee Stadium on Thursday? Yeah. What'd you guys think of it? Don't all talk at once. <laughs> well, we love Stephen A., so What'd I you think of the pitch? He's lit. <laughs> How about you, Julian? Let's, let's get an honest assessment of Stephen A.'s first pitch on Thursday prior to the Yankees game. Was he on the mound? Or? He was on the mound. Oh, I meant like the strip or just yeah. on the mound? Yeah, he was on the mound. That's a rough one. Now, can I make the case it was it was the best case scenario? I get that. Well, because here's the thing. Let's just say Stephen A. nails it. He throws a, a, a perfect pitch across the plate. It's a non-story the next day. Right? No one's talking about it. Stephen A. went up there. like It was cool that the Yankees allowed him to do it. He nailed the pitch. No one's talking about it. Now, let's go opposite end of the spectrum. If he goes like full 50 cent or even worse, it somehow ends up in Monument Park, then that's too much of a disaster that maybe he can't even overcome that. That's just awful. It's pathetic. It's so embarrassing that Stephen A. can't even joke his way out of it. But I think the best case scenario ensued, and it was a pitch he threw wasn't that bad where it was embarrassing, but it was bad enough that people made fun of him for it it went viral. Every, you know, sports article and, and sports site picked it up. We saw it tweeted out everywhere. And then you watch first take and, you know, here's Steve Harvey calling into the show to talk about it. Here's Snoop calling into the show to talk about it. Here's Shaq. He said he got text messages from Jay-Z and from Derek Jeter. You know, his, his sister Carmen, she pulled up on, on the scene. Molly and, and, and Ryan Clark are making fun of him. Bart Scott's giving him the business. So I, it might have been the best-case scenario for Stephen A. Smith. Like, we're all laughing. It's all funny. Here was Steve Harvey on first take, ripping Stephen A.'s first pitch. The embarrassment that has been heaped upon me. You know how many calls I done took from my frat brothers going, hey, man, ain't Stephen A. your boy? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Stephen A. Smith. Brother, man, I love you, dog, but I could not believe what I saw. Now, everybody been kind of, you know, going light, you know, my boy Ryan, he your partner and everything. Listen to me, man. I don't know if anybody's called in today who's actually thrown out a first pitch, but I've actually thrown out a first pitch at the Cubs game in Chicago. I walked up to the mound. I'm actually 10, 12 years older than you. I lean back. I put pepper on it. Dead center of the mid nice pop. What you did yesterday. Oh my God. It's awesome. So Stephen A. Smith, who right now to me is him and Barkley are the two most notable, best, I guess, top of the chain sports Media members, 
Like they're at the top of the chain. It's Stephen A. Smith and it's Charles Barkley as far as, you know, pot, you know, who who's at the top of the chains, you know, with sports media. No nobody's bigger than those two guys right now. He goes to Yankee Stadium, a ballpark that has housed the most big time moments in sports history, throws a pitch that hits the dirt, and he comes out a winner. It's the best case scenario for him. It's, it's the absolute best case. You, you see what I mean, Julian? Like, this was great. He didn't embarrass himself, but it was bad enough to get people talking about it, and it became a big story yesterday. Yeah, I get what you mean. And, like, with first pitches like that, um, at worst, if you don't throw it, like, a strike, is that everyone just goes, oh, remember when 50 Cent threw it? Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> you can't be, like, you can't be that bad. Bouncing it, and it wasn't awful, but... People played it up, and it was fun. It was cool. It, it, it was it was dope to see Stephen in it. You know, he, he talks about how he is a a diehard Yankees fan. You know, grew up not allowed to watch the Mets, so I mean, that's a dope moment for him to be at Yankee Stadium. He's chopping it up with Judge before beforehand, and he said, you know, don't mess this up. He said Jeter texted him prior to that, saying, you know, don't bleep this up. That's that's fun, man. If you're Stephen A, you're living the life. That that is an excellent moment. For, for a really good dude who's who's worked his way up to the top of the food chain in, in, in the sports business. I watch him on General Hospital, my favorite show, playing Brick. So shout out to Stephen A, man. That, that was dope. 800-919-3776. Not so dope is Oregon handing it to Colorado right now. Number 10 Oregon up 35 nothing at halftime. It was 13 nothing after the end of the first quarter. Then they rallied off 22 straight. Uh, to take a commanding 35 nothing lead to go into halftime. And I went on Twitter. It's amazing how many people are rooting against the Buffaloes. I don't know what Deion Sanders and Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter and all these guys did to y'all, but people are just having fun with this. They love it. Humble pie and talking all the smack. It's, 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 it's crazy. Why y'all got to be haters? I don't get it. 800-919-3776. want to talk about the Yankees coming up. When we return, Ty Butler going to 630 right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN. It's time to decide. Are you in... Or are you out? Oh, let's do it. Ty Butler going to 6.30. And at this time, the producers will come in. They'll throw a couple statements at me, and I got to let them know whether I'm in or out on said statement. So let's do it. Let's start it off. Who we got here? So I'll start with my first statement. Let's do it, Julian. Let's um, get it popping, baby. First statement, Micah Parsons to win the MVP. So I'm out on this. This, maybe you can say wrongly, has become a quarterback award. But as great as Parsons is, he is the best defensive player in football. And that is with no disrespect to Bosa. That's no disrespect to Watt. I just think he's better. And what he has done for that Cowboy defense he has transformed them into a juggernaut. And one of these top three reasons why people are buying into this team being able to actually win a Super Bowl. Despite all of that, 
nothing but respect to Parsons. And I saw what he did to my Jet offensive line last week. This award is designed for quarterbacks to win it. Because like, if you did a, a fantasy draft and you're just, everyone's a free agent, is Micah Parsons your first pick? No. Is he your second pick? No. Is he your third pick? No. You're going quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. So right now, like Mahomes hasn't been great. Allen hasn't been great. The Hurts hasn't been great. Herbert's 0-2. Lamar's 2-0. But it's not like the offense has been humming. You look at all the quarterbacks and, you know, through three or two plus weeks, I should say, Micah's in that conversation just because we haven't had a standout candidate. But I think once we get to the end of the season, it's going to be a quarterback. They just have more control over a game, the way that they impact and affect the game, especially in this era of football where you need excellent quarterback plays to be successful and a lot of points are being scored and points are being scored because you have a great quarterback. So I'm out on Micah winning the MVP. He's going to get defensive player of the year, but he's not going to be the MVP. Next. Okay, uh, next, the New York Jets sign Carson Wentz and make it to the playoffs. Are you in or out? I'm out on that. Look, Carson Wentz was phenomenal in 2017 and would have been the MVP had he not torn his ACL. And it was a, it was, it went from a great story to an awful one back to a really good one because we saw Wentz go from the MVP to being out, and then you thought there was doom and gloom with Philly. Then they win with a backup quarterback and they beat the goat in the Super Bowl. And you feel badly for Wentz because, really, you know, as good of a story as it was for Foles, should have been his Super Bowl to win. But the problem is, since then, he's either been hurt or ineffective. And people go back to 2021 with the Colts, where he had 27 touchdowns to seven picks. Only problem is, with a chance to get into the playoffs, he was awful. He was dreadful. So between all the injury concerns and the ineffectiveness, and it's been you know, too much time since we last saw him be great, I just don't know that that is a viable option for the Jets. And if since you've invested so much, not really because of how much you've invested in Zach, it's just if there was a, an option out there that was a clear significant upgrade, I would say you go out and get him. I just don't know that Wentz is. So I'm out on them going out to get Wentz and then, you know, after they get him making the playoffs. I, I just don't see that happening. Next. Uh, next, we're going to move over to baseball. Okay. The Texas Rangers to win the AL West. The Texas Rangers to win the ALS. I have some stats, too, if that helps. Let's let's hear them. So currently the Rangers are leading the West uh, 85 to 68. The Astros half a game behind, and the Mariners one game behind. The Rangers are also leading in run differentials at uh, plus one six, 164. Astros 117 and Mariners 102. And the Rangers are currently playing the Mariners, uh, and they will close out the season in Seattle. The Astros' next uh, series is in Seattle against the Mariners. And then the Mariners' final two series are at home against the Astros and Rangers. I'm out on the Rangers winning the West. I've got to give props just to the team that has consistently won the West, what, the last six years, and that's the Houston Astros, the defending champions. And they've dealt with, you know, a myriad of injuries this year. And they've found a way to overcome that, which is why, you know, to bring back to the Yankees, like, you talk about injuries, other teams are able to overcome it. The problem with the Rangers is they keep trading for former Mets. And the former Mets come to their team and get hurt. So first it was, not trade, they signed DeGrom and then traded for Scherzer. They both got hurt. 
Uh, but at this point, you know, they're a legitimate contender. As you mentioned, they have the best run di- differential in that division. They have the second best run differential in the American League, only behind Tampa. And, you know, they're, they're a live player. You, you don't have anyone out the central who you think can win the title. The Orioles and the Rays are, are excellent teams. Then you've got to go between that, that race in the West. It's just tremendous. It's going to be fascinating to watch the last you know, week and a half of the season. But I've got to go with the Astros just because they're battle-tested. And I know that in big games, you can count on this team to win and do it at the highest level. I know they've struggled in their last 10 games. I believe they've, they're like 3-7 and seven in their last 10. But I still think that they'll win this division. So I'm out on the, Astros, uh, on the Rangers, and I'm in on the Astros. Next. Um, one more here with uh, the Celtics. Ah, uh, excuse me, with basketball. Okay. And the uh, basketball season right around the corner. By exactly. the way. Exactly. I'm giddy. And I'm excited. I'll be at that opening night game, Knicks Celtics at the Garden. Should be fun. Well, speaking of that, so the new thing with the season is the in-season tournament. Uh, I have Celtics to win the in-season tournament. <sighs> I, you know what, like. So the, so the NBA is now instituting this rule where you, you where they're going to, I guess, incentivize teams to play their stars and not rest them. I'm trying to figure out how do I even answer this. Am I in on the Celtics winning the in-season tournament? No, I'm not in on that. I'm just not. And I'm going to be honest, I don't have a legitimate reason. I just don't know where we're going to be once we get to, to the mid-season tournament. I, I like the Bucks. As the best team, if they're healthy, which they haven't been the last couple of years, I'm getting all emotional talking about it because, you know, I got a lot of Knicks fans who are friends, and if things go awry with Milwaukee, maybe Giannis can be had. So that's why I'm getting all emotional. Uh, the, the Bucks, I think they're the best team in the East. The Celtics are right there pending Chris Porzingis being able to stay healthy. We have no clue what's going on with James Harden and the Sixers, but Embiid's the reigning MVP, so you got to give him respect. And then you've got the Cavs who have improved, adding Max Struess I think is a big deal because they struggle with three-point shooting in the playoffs, and he is a sniper. And then the Knicks are there as well. Miami, we're in the finals, can't disrespect them. They were supposed to have Dame Lillard. They don't yet have him. Maybe they're not going to get him. But, you know, based on what we've seen from them, it's supposed to being probably the best coach in basketball right now. They're a live player. So in-season turn, and that's just to mention the East. It's not even to mention the West. Lakers, I heard Zach Lowe say Lakers could win the title. It's got me excited. Nuggets defending champions. Draymond's talking about the Warriors going to get two more. So, I don't know. It's a lot of parody. I'm out on the Celtics, though, just because, you know, I'm not a Celtics guy. I'm a Lakers fan. Um. Okay, and last one from me. Uh, would you rather the Jets lose tomorrow or win, the, or win, but the Patriots get the first pick? And the draft, Caleb Williams. Oh. So, the question is, if the Jets win tomorrow, which essentially knocks New England out of playoff contention because they're not going to go from 0-3 with two division losses to make the playoff, but they somehow stumble into being so bad they draft Caleb Williams? No, yeah, I'm in on that. I'm in on that. It would be a nightmare. To go from Brady, which, by the way, Julian reminded me before the show, today's the 22-year anniversary of the Mo Lewis hit from hell that knocked Bledsoe out of the game and gave us Tom Brady. It would have been nice to have that uh, that hit back, Mo. But to go from Brady for all those years to a couple of uh, 
you know, sort of a, a brief hiatus where you get Mac Jones and then you stumble into Caleb Williams, it would be tough. But I, I, I'm going to be at the game tomorrow. Last time I was at a Jet game, I, I want to say it was 2015 opener against the Bengals. Mike Nugent hit a game-winning field goal, and it was heartbreaking. So me being in attendance, I don't want to experience another loss to the Patriots. So I'm in on the Jets winning tomorrow, even if somehow it, it ends up being that the Patriots are so bad they draft Caleb Williams. That's it? Great sure. job. Great job by the producers, Julian and Chantel. It's a game we like to play called In or Out. 800-919-3776. Before we get back to the NFL... In the final hour, I do want to talk baseball. I want to talk about the Yankees coming up because what I watched last night was refreshing. It was exciting, but it was also incredibly depressing. So we'll talk about that coming up. Ty Butler going to 630 right here on 9870 ESPN.